Hey, lovelies, before we get started, let's talk summer weddings for a second. Just because you have a dressy event does not mean that you need to be uncomfortable. Personally, I actually find that I enjoy my dressier events more when I am comfortable, you know? My three top picks for dressy events from the line are the sculpt dress, the little ruffle dress, and the flutter dress. The sculpt dress, as you know, is a cotton shift dress with a beautiful sculptural bow that allows for great movement and just the right of amount of drama the pre-order was actually super successful and lots of sizes sold out almost immediately but most of those have since been restocked comes in two colors blush and royal i have a personal preference towards the blush but i will admit that the royal has been more popular if you're looking for something a little less colorful the little ruffle dress is also fantastic for summer weddings it's a lightweight black dress with a beautiful mesh dot fabric this dress literally feels like you are wearing absolutely nothing currently in stock in pretty much much every size it comes in my usual range of sizes two through 24 and it's just a really great black dress it's just a great thing to have in your closet obviously if you've been here for any amount of time you've heard about the flutter dress it is my best selling dress ever and an all-around great piece of clothing features a beautiful flutter sleeve with that has a lining inside for coverage so you don't need any kind of shell and you don't need to worry about like as the volume of the sleeve flops around if you're covered because you are it almost has like a built-in shell um also has this really soft gathered neckline and a soft flared skirt it's just a really flattering fantastic dress all around it is available in six colors and obviously sizes two through 24 the flutter dress is really your no fail summer wedding or really any time of year any type of occasion dress it's also this week's lovely perk so these are the perks that I send out exclusively to the lovelies that are on my email list. And for just one time, I'm giving you, my wonderful podcast listeners, a little bit of a sneak peek into that. So this week only, starting from today, Monday, through the end of the week, the Flutter Dress is actually 10% off on the site with code LOVELYPERK. You can use that there um, and get a chance to try it out. Get a chance to try it for your summer events. The uh, items that are bought with the sale code are still returnable just in 10 days instead of the usual 30. And if you have any questions about sizing or styles or colors or anything, feel free to reach out to me. I'm available by email. That's Rivky, R-I-V-K-Y at impactfashionnyc.com. Uh, you can reach out to me on Instagram at impact.fashion.myc. Happy to answer any questions that you may have. So you can see all three of these pieces and shop the flutter dress at a little bit of a discount um, along with all the rest of my designs at impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corner. And on today's show, I talk with the director of content at The Reflective about modesty and her work. She shares how The Reflective navigates different modesty standards among religions and individuals, her experience diving headfirst into modest dressing, and what modesty means to her. Drawn to the Reflective, a unique modest marketplace by their zoomed out approach to modesty. I love their style and vibes and was fascinated by the work they do. Danielle Immerman is the director of content at the Reflective, and she sat down to discuss all things modesty and how the Reflective came to be. As a little kid, I was always 
very mature. <laughs> An old soul, they would call me. Um, I guess I started eating artichokes by myself at the age of two, as my mom likes to remind me. Um, I was always into food. I was always playful, spoke my mind. Yeah, that's me. I love that the artichoke detail is such a wonderful, such a wonderfully <laughs> specific thing to bring up. Um, so, you know, when you were like through school and all of that, were you always interested in fashion and design? You know, my initial response is no, I wasn't interested in fashion at all, um, meaning I never saw a career in it. Uh, but if I really dig deep into my memories, I do like I there were definitely periods where I wanted to be a fashion designer. Like um, like when I was nine years old, like I would fantasize about these careers that just didn't feel so grounded in reality as you kind of learn to develop that uh, that sense of reality as you get older. Uh, like I want to be an actress. I want to be, you know, um, a fashion designer. I want to be a pop star. And like so fashion was always in the circuit of things I wanted to be in. Um, and then I'd say like the only real interest I can pinpoint is my interest in shopping. I've always loved to shop, uh, not necessarily in a formal, like stylized way. I never was like the best dressed person in the room. I never had a desire to be, I've just always liked to shop. So I guess that's, <laughs> can be the common thread, if you will, is yeah, my, I, I hear that. I think that that's where a lot of people get to uh, you know, it's it's your first experience with clothes, you know, especially when you start getting old enough that you can have opinions about your clothes um, and, you know, start and and sometimes our mothers wish we wouldn't have opinions because like, can we just buy this and get on and, you know, move on. But yeah, it's definitely uh, most people's first experience with it. Um, I became connected to you through The Reflective, which is this wonderful platform for modest fashion. Um and I, I really just kind of want to turn the table over to you. You are head of content at The Reflective. Um, and I'd love if you would uh, give me a little bit of an overview about, you know, what The Reflective is and um, how you came to be involved with it. Yes. So The Reflective is an interfaith modest fashion platform. So think of ShopUp, Revolve, Bloomingdale's. You have these marketplaces, these e-commerce websites where you can go and shop any product you want from a number of brands. That is exactly the concept that we are applying to the reflective, but exclusively for the modest market. So you can shop a bunch of different brands and they will all be more or less modest. We don't define what modesty means as far as any kind of um, halachic standard in Judaism. Uh, since we are catering to an interfaith market, there are various levels of modesty, various definitions. So um, that's why I say more or less everything is modest because according to your standard, according to your definition, that will fluctuate. But the idea is that if you are a modest woman, you can come to our website and have an easy, beautiful shopping experience without sacrificing the time that you would spend searching 10 different websites, trying to find that one modest wedding guest dress. Right. Like trying to find that one thing. And then you look at the, at the picture and it's got like a backless, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's got the full sleeves and, and down, but, but there's no back. Um, I want to talk about this idea of how you define modesty, because this is something that I think about a lot, actually. Um, as as you know, I'm a modest fashion designer, and I specifically cater to a from market, to an Orthodox Jewish market. So my clothes fall into the realm of halacha, of Jewish law, as I wear it, basically. Um, and I have had people tell me, your dresses are too short, your necklines are too low, can, can this be made even more modest. Um, 
And my answer is there's extra fabric available for purchase if you need it. And you're welcome to make any alterations that you'd like. Um, but it's really hard. I love that. It's, it's true though. You know, it's impossible to, um, it's, it's impossible to make something perfect for everybody, um, you know, with differing standards, with differing bodies, with differing everything. It's impossible to create a line that everyone will find 100% acceptable and whatever that means. And I'm curious what your experience has been with, you know, with navigating that, with navigating how, you know, you're defining modesty. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your entire team is Jewish, right? Yeah. Yeah. We are. Okay. So like, especially if, you know, there is a religious aspect to this, um, and, you know, this platform is specifically interfaith. So how does all that play out? What are, what does all that look like for you guys at the reflective? Yeah, listen, it's really, it's hard. It's tricky because on one hand, um, we have our personal values, right? Meaning you have yours as far as how you choose to represent your Judaism and how you choose to dress modestly. I have mine and they may not be the same and we can still call ourselves Jewish. The same is true if you zoom out and look at Christians and you look at Muslims and you look at women who are coming to dress modestly outside of faith-based reasons, because there are a ton who choose to dress more conservatively and who don't even have any of these religious-based um, laws to uphold. Um, so when you are talking about creating a modest fashion platform that addresses all these different groups, you're going to run into some, some tricky scenarios to navigate because like you said, you can't be everything for everyone. You know, not everybody is going to be happy. Um, and that's definitely something that we've thought a lot about. And, you know, I think we really try as far as our curation goes and our content goes to keep a certain standard, meaning we really have certain baselines. We try to curate as much and post as much that goes above the collarbone and below the elbow and at least an inch above the knee, probably more so at the knee or below. Um, and, you know, as far as pants goes, we do post pants and we curate pants because as far as the Muslim definition of modesty goes, that is completely allowed. Um, and they have to cover their ankle point blank. So they can't even wear midi skirts. Um, while, you know, in some Jewish circles, wearing pants is not considered halakhic, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's um, generally not accepted. Yeah, it's generally like in most communities, you won't find many women wearing pants. Um, now the question is, can you wear pants underneath a, a dress or a skirt? Like some people will, but others won't. So there's a lot of nuance at play when we speak about modesty. And I think it's definitely, it's, it's hard. When yeah, it's funny, you know, when you talk about pants under a skirt, what I find fascinating is that for the most part, I want to say that there's not every community, but there's, you know, and we're specifically talking to our experiences, which are, which are in the, you know, the Jewish community, the Orthodox community, for the most part, it's generally accepted, certainly in my circles to wear leggings under a skirt, that's considered like, that's pretty accepted, but there's something about making those jeans that like if it's jeans then then it's then it enters this whole other level and i will admit that it feels different to me it does feel different where like a legging feels closer to tights just more comfortable and jeans feel like a, like a section of the store you would never go to um but yeah i'm curious what your thoughts are on that on wearing jeans yeah just you know how how like there's this such this difference between like leggings under a skirt versus jeans under a skirt 
Yeah. I, you know, as you were saying, I was like, that is interesting. And it's like, whoa, it's, you can wear leggings and be totally fine. It's like you put on a pair of jeans under a dress and it's like, is she off of there? Like, is everything okay? Like what's right. going on? Um, but I think for me, like I personally have no problem with jeans. I, on an individual level, forget modesty, don't like jeans. I don't like the way they feel. <laughs> like I, I don't like a waistband in general. That's why I've really loved modesty since I've incorporated it into my life. Like I, I'm just grateful to not put on a pair of jeans ever again. Um, leggings. Yeah. Leggings do feel different because they are closer to tights. It's interesting to think about. Leggings feel more like underwear. Do you know what I mean? Like leggings feel like you have to have something over it because especially with some of them, like they can be see-through even it's not, you know, it's, it's not, you know, I don't know. It's, and all these things really speak to community nuance also, where there are just different things in different communities that, you know, there are plenty of communities where we're wearing even leggings under a skirt would be, you know, not acceptable. So yeah, you mentioned incorporating modesty into your life. Is this, is that something that you did as an adult or did you always dress this way? No, so I am what you would call a belt shuva. A belt shuva essentially means like I didn't grow up with, um, you know, keeping any halacha, uh, any Jewish law. I was reform. I grew up reform, um, always very culturally connected to my Judaism. Um, but as far as like understanding anything outside of like once a year we go to temple for Yom Kippur, like I, I didn't have that. I didn't have that Jewish education, um, live that Jewish lifestyle. So when I was in college at the University of Michigan, I started learning with an, old, an organization on campus called Olami. Um, and I started learning about my Judaism through them. And ultimately, I went to Israel after I graduated from the University of Michigan. That's really where, you know, I started taking on a lot of, um, you know, a lot of Jewish practices as far as halacha, Jewish law goes, and as far as just, you know, observance goes. Um, yeah, I went to Neve Yerushalayim and really like once I got to seminary in Israel, I think I went headfirst into a lot. Um, it's something that I'd been wanting to do for a while. Like when I was in college, I knew I wanted to potentially become more observant in my Judaism, but the environment I was in didn't really um, make that so conducive. So a lot of my, my interests started in college and manifested in practice um, when I went to Israel, um, modesty included. So what did that look like? You know, what was the process of transitioning into a more modest wardrobe look like for you? So it's funny. Um, my co-founder Liza and I have two very different experiences when it comes to dressing modestly because she also is about Shuba and has taken modesty on later in life. Um, and for her, it was slow and steady. She did a lot of like modesty challenges and really experimented with, you know, hem lengths and the length of her sleeve I tend to be an extremist and I just jumped in head first um like I said when I went to Israel I just I took a lot on all at once and that's not the best practice usually um for me since I I am black and white all or nothing I it was all I knew how to do um and so when I you know was in that seminary environment in Israel. I was in Harnof, which if you're not familiar, Harnof is a Haredi neighborhood in Jerusalem. And most people that like everyone there is modest Um, and not just modest, but like they uphold a certain level of modesty that I felt in order to be respectful of the environment I was in, I also wanted to dress more or less modestly as well. So um, that was really the impetus for me taking modesty on all at once. Uh, And as far as like practically how that looked, I mean, I always 
like knew when it came to Judaism and becoming more observant that I wanted to still be me. I didn't want to change like who I was. I wanted to still be me, Danielle, and just, you know, living in a more purposeful, meaningful way. And so when that came to modesty, like I knew I had to get clothes that still felt like me. So, you know, I did a little shopping push before I went to Israel and I made sure that everything that I brought, I liked. Um, and I think it's just evolved my experience with modesty since then to be something that brings me a lot of creativity and joy. And I mean, there are definitely challenges like working out and going to the beach are really hard. And I don't always, you know, know the best way to dress modestly in those situations. It's a struggle, but that's life. Yeah. And it's, I'm curious what that like first shopping trip was like, like, did you buy a whole bunch of clothes thinking that like, you might not ever even wear them? Cause I would imagine that if your wardrobe is completely, if you're basically revamping how you present yourself to the world, like you're revamping your self image in a way, um, I would imagine that would be really overwhelming. Yeah. I guess I didn't think about it so much as far as a macro kind of view on how it would impact my life. Um, I, it didn't occur to me. I just, I really was like, okay, I'm getting clothes for this next chapter in my life. Um, it didn't feel anything bigger than that at the time. I think maybe when I came back from Israel, it felt a little bit bigger because I don't know, it was just, okay, now I'm entering the world as this changed person. Um, and I'm going to be in an American environment as opposed to an Israeli environment. And the way you dress in those two different environments is different. So I'd say I did feel like a little bit more, um, I wouldn't call it pressure, but I felt more drive to acquire more clothing when I came back from Israel as uh, an observant person. And I think that was overwhelming in some some degree. Right. You mentioned that you wanted it to still feel like you. What were some things that you like looked for or did to have your modest wardrobe, you know, your new modest wardrobe still feel like you? It's a great question. It's so it's it's hard to think about because I did this so long ago. Um How long ago was it by the way? Just 3 years ago now. That is a while. So it's not, yeah, it's like maybe it's even more I'm trying no, yeah, three years ago, exactly, because um, I left June 2019, so, I, you know, it's hard to say if I had a certain process, like, I knew, it's funny, like, the first real time I had gotten, like, a really good outfit that I liked, um, that was completely modest, was for Pesach, um, Passover, uh, my senior year in college, this was, like, probably two months before I left for Israel, and, um, I made sure I like had an outfit that I want, like felt good in and looked good in because I was going to be around a lot of people. And like, I just want to feel like myself. Um, and I remember loving like this silk bias cut skirt I got from three people. Like I just felt so feminine. I felt fun. I felt like I looked normal. I just, I don't know. I really loved that silk bias cut skirt. And so when I started buying more clothes for Israel, I think I got like probably five different colors of that mm -hmm. same skirt. And I think it just like spiraled from there. I just realized I really like silk. And then I started getting a lot of silk midi skirts and, uh, um, I like just these plain t-shirts. So I was like, oh, it's going to be hot in Israel. Let me find hundred percent cotton shirts. And so I found this brand called cotton citizen. And then I got like this boxy tea in every color. So I just, 
I like, I think it was a blend of realizing what I liked, what um, I felt good in and figuring out the environment I was going to be in. It all kind of intertwined into piecing together a wardrobe that worked at the time. So it sounds like you were applying kind of the same principles that you would apply to a regular wardrobe, just, you know, also with this added layer of it's got to cover my knees, it's got to cover my elbows. Yeah, pretty much. And I'm the kind of person that I like hunting for things. I love thrifting. I love vintage shopping. So, I mean, modesty was just an added layer of the shopping experience, but it, you know, it was a challenge. I was like, okay, let me see what's out there. Right. It's like, it's gotta, I have to like it. It's gotta be cute. It's gotta fit the Israeli weather and it's gotta be modest. Like it's just was another, right. like another layer of stuff that you've got to, uh, you know, uh, requirements it's got to meet. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So how did the reflective come to be? How did that, you know, how was that born? How did that come into your life? Yeah. So it's funny. Liza and I were actually, Liza is um, the OG founder, reflective. Um, we're co-founders and we were roommates at seminary in Israel. So it's just crazy to see Hashem's hands in everything in life. Um, I remember before I left for Israel, actually, I hadn't really had any experience praying for anything. <laughs> I was like, you know, I didn't have a relationship with God so much. Like I always knew there was a God. I believed in God and I didn't have such a, a deep, strong connection. But before I did leave for Israel, I knew I was going to be making changes in my life and I knew that if I was going to be going on this journey and making changes, I needed to have friends. Like I did not want to go on that journey alone. I knew like I couldn't do it. And so I, every day before I left for Israel for a solid month, I would pray like, please Hashem, God, like, I know you're out there, please. I want to come closer to my Judaism. I want to go on this journey, but I cannot do it alone. Like I really need friends who are like me, who I have a good time with, who I can connect to, who I can go on this journey with. And Sure enough, my roommates were amazing. I had like all of these women come into my life and Liza was one of them. And um, she was there just for the summer. I stayed for a year. And while I was at seminary for the year, she was working at Bloomingdale's and then COVID hit. Um, when COVID hit, I came back from Israel. I couldn't stay any longer. The seminary shut down and Liza got furloughed. So Liza started thinking, hey, like, you know, what if there was this shopping experience that made our lives easier, that still gave us access to all these amazing brands that we shopped at before? Could we do it? And could it be modest? Do you think this is an idea? And, you know, she assembled a team. I joined as part of that OG team. And the rest is history. We started working on it during COVID. And it's just only gone up from here. Yeah. And it's it's kind of, it's, it's crazy to me how like in a lot of ways COVID feels over, but not. And, you know, like now in, you know, a couple, what is it? Two years later, we're seeing, you know, yeah, the, like COVID, there was a lot of businesses that started during that time. And like now, now, now we can talk about it. And it's like, you've been around for two years and yet it's still, I don't know. COVID just feels a lot more recent than that. Maybe just because all our lives got completely upended. Um <laughs> But I'm I'm curious, was the original idea, like you said, this, like the curated marketplace for modest fashion, was that, like, has it, has it iterated at all since then? No, it's so funny. Um, I actually realized pretty recently that we are exactly back to where we started as far as all of our plans go. We definitely had iterations along the way, but our original concept always was and is to provide a modest fashion marketplace. 
um, meaning you can go to one website and shop for all of your modest fashion needs without sacrificing time, without sacrificing style, quality, you name it. That was the original concept and that's what it is today and will continue to become in an even heightened capacity. Right. So yeah, you know, it's, it's a very cool kind of marketplace. And I do, uh, you know, recommend everyone to check out the reflective.com because you guys do have really great taste and there's really fun edits and, and it's a really great, just, it's a really great amalgamation of kind of like the same way that you said, you know, we're used to kind of sifting through the old internet to find that one dress on that one site that maybe will work for you. And this is just a, a compilation of all of that. Um, how long does it usually take you guys to find the stuff that you feature? Like how long does it take mm. you to put together that wedding guest dress, you know, edit? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I'll tell you our, our process. Our process is I lay out the content six months at a time. So I'll plan out six months from now, what our content more or less will look like every week. And that includes curations. So I'm kind of determining based on what I'm hearing from our community, what the needs are. And I'm laying out for Liza what she should be curating every week. And every week she will curate what I tell her to curate and she'll add. Like she also has merchandising. I mean, I have zero merchandising background. So I'm giving like general themes for her to work off of. Um, and then she'll use her merchandising experience to pull in all of the product. And I'm not sure exactly how long it takes her. It takes her all Monday afternoon. I know that because I, <laughs> I look at her calendar. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so she has at least three hours blocked off for curating every week. Um, and it takes, you know, even more time than that because, you know, I'm also figuring out what products should be on there. And, you know, I do supplemental things as well. So probably all in all, we're spending at least at least six hours a week if not more. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a long slog. And, and like I said, yeah. anyone who's tried to find that one modest dress knows exactly the, the slog that you're talking about. We touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the interview, and that is about, you know, how we define modesty and, and what that looks like. And particularly when it comes to, you know, when you're working with very defined rules, Judaism has this very defined rules about what is modest, you know, cover the elbows, cover the knees, cover the collarbone. And then there's all of these community nuances that get layered on top. And then the Muslim community has, you know, I'm sure the same thing. And I'm sure the same goes, you know, with, you know, Christian communities and, and things like that. How do you as a platform navigate that? Like, is it important to you to keep everything? Well, I know this is not true, but, you know, not everything on the site is halachically, um, acceptable but it might be acceptable according to muslim tradition like do you have a do you have an overarching view of that how do you work through that it's such a great question it's so hard because i am jewish and liza is jewish and we're both extremely connected to our communities and our identity um and at the same time we really believe that by catering to an interfaith market to an interfaith community we will be able to unify women under modesty um, and we believe that all modest women deserve an amazing shopping experience, um, faith aside. So when it comes to determining products and to determining standards, that's very tricky because the Muslim community has a different definition of modesty than the Christian community does. And the Jewish community has its own definition. And even within those faiths, there are so many different definitions. I can speak to Jewish because Judaism because I know Judaism. Um, there's very baseline, like very simple, very simple from the Torah halacha for modesty. And it's not so intense. Like 
it's what you can't show like your armpits like i'm talking baseline like baseline is like you can't show your armpits um you can't show the top of your knee and uh the elbow like right. an inch or no not even the elbow the collarbone is debatable like there's right. a yeah, lot the collarbone, of i know the collarbone is Judaism. an iffy one i know the armpit is there um and and there's there's like some Hebrew word that is translated to be like an upper thigh, but nobody quite like it's one of those things that nobody like knows exactly where that upper exactly. thigh bit is. So as all Jews do, we we took we did the most Jewish thing and we said, let's just say knee. It's simpler. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. So that can be interpreted a million different ways, right? right? If that's what the working definition we're going off of, then that can mean theoretically you can wear loose pants. Why not? That I'm saying like some people can right. argue that. And some right. people can argue, well, you don't have to cover your elbow. You actually just need to cover your armpit. So that means as long as your shirt's not riding up and I can't see your armpit, then you're fine. Right, like so, a cap sleeve would be okay. Right, a cap sleeve would be totally fine. So there are really a lot of different definitions within Judaism itself. So to say, okay, we're going to uphold halacha, well, we are, but your halacha might be different than my halacha, and that's okay. And I can't run, like, I can't figure out, like, everybody's nuances and cater to all of those nuances because, you know, we would be you know, chasing our tails around all day. Right. It's like, no um, one can be, so as, are, as with like, all good Jewish things, no one can be the authority right. on. Do you know what I mean? Like, even like, if you want to get to the most basic level, there's Sephardi and Ashkenaz. Like we have all these different definitions of so many things. Um, You know, like if you want to think about like Pesach and Passover, that's such a good example of like, I am very Ashkenaz and I would never touch rice. And I have plenty of, I know plenty of friends who are just like, I can't believe you go a week without the rice thing. Like all of that is just, we, no one can be the authority on modesty, even within one space. And it's difficult to, you're never going to cater to everyone. And it's the kind of thing also where it's like, I'll tell people that, you know, I'll get requests. And like, I've had people berate me for saying that my designs are not modest, which I find really funny because I, because I, because, because I think they are, I think they're quite modest. Um, but it's, but like in a really passionate way. And, and it also goes to this sense of responsibility. Like if there is someone who believes that what I make is immodest in for whatever reason, then they feel like because I present as a from woman, because I present as someone who dresses modestly, that I like that coming from me, you know, that I have a responsibility to make things that are exactly to their standard, which are obviously different from whatever standards I hold. And it's difficult, you know, from when, when you're a part of the community that you're trying to serve, it definitely creates all of these other I don't want to say like drama, but it's the only word that I could think of right now. But like, it's, there's that other, you know, that notion of people expect you to be, um, to, to be, you know, that guiding light for everyone and you can't be all things to everyone. It's just not possible. I can't believe you're bringing up this point because it's just, it, I don't know, it's so appropriate. I really feel it. Like you really can't be everything for everyone. Like it's impossible. And like, you know, I think there's a, a large degree of perfectionism rooted in in whatever's going on in our in our circles and our communities because at the end of the day we can't be perfect um and to expect this perfectly modest perfect garment to exist and to be you know perfect for everyone and you know perfect for you and 
it's just it's a lot universally accepted and also cute for everyone yeah. it's, it's just not possible it's just not, it's something not that, it doesn't exist yeah. right it's, it's just <laughs> not something that that could exist um I'm curious with the the pieces that you feature um, and you do these really cool style edits that are, um, you know, the, these are your weekly edits that come out. And, you know, like one of the most recent ones is about soft and romantic dresses or, you know, day to night looks and things like that. Those are, um, you know, you feature a wide variety of different brands. Um, and I, I'm curious to what extent you guys look for. Um, either smaller brands or specifically maybe Jewish brands or Muslim brands or Christian brands, like different, like, are you, to what extent do you try to feature the communities that you're trying to serve? We definitely try. Um, it's hard because we're limited as far as our technology goes, uh, meaning we curate everything from shop style. Uh, it's just how our business is running right now. So smaller brands just don't exist on shop style. Um, there's just that physical limitation. Can you explain what shop style limitation. is for people who don't understand? Who, yeah, who don't so shop style, shop style is an affiliate aggregator, meaning it's a third party platform. So you can be an influencer, you can be a marketplace like the reflective and go to shop style, sign up and have access to all these bit different brands, these huge retailers like ASOS, H&M, Mango, um, Bloomingdale's. You can pull from all of these different websites and brands and create your own link on a product. And that link that you generate from a product can be uploaded and posted wherever. So we take those links and we can put it onto our marketplace. We can post them to Instagram. And when somebody, a customer of ours, will go and buy a product, from that link will earn a commission. So essentially what it does is it allows a smaller new business or a, an influencer access to these huge retailers that they would usually not have access to as far as earning commission goes um, and signing contracts goes. So because that's the technology we're on, a lot of smaller brands are not on that. Some are, and onboarding brands is possible. We just figured it out, which is exciting. Um, and yeah, I, I would, I'd say that's the first limitation is technology. And then the second would be like, it just takes research, right? Like it takes right. research, figuring out smaller brands to work with in different communities, the Christian brands. Like I have, I'm really not familiar with the Christian market as far as brands goes. Muslim, like I'm starting to become more familiar with, um, as I start to do more research and dive in and Jewish also, it right. takes a lot of research and, you know, like small brands aside, we also want quality. So, you know, for us to find these brands and test them out ourselves, it just takes time. It takes filtering. It takes research. And, you know, we love to support small brands as much as we can. We love, like, I'm, I will forever be grateful to Liza for finding this brand in Ava Paris. Um, Devorah's, you know, she's from Paris. She's amazing. She started this swimwear brand and, it's modest swimwear and it's cute and it's quality and it's just, you know, finds like that, that I feel like are so important to showcase and to highlight like small brands are everything. Yeah. And can I just say that I love how unapologetic you are about the fact that this is a business and, you know, it, and that's how <laughs> yeah. you make your money. You make your money through commission. And that's, it's a fantastic model also, by the way. Um, and, and yeah, there has to be a, you know, there are technology limitations to what 
to, to what you can do. And I, I totally understand that. I'm curious what it is that, you know, when you are deciding what types of thing you're going to feature. So you, you guys work in these edits. So I'd love if you could kind of explain to me how your edits work and, and what makes you decide what should be the next one. So interesting. Cause I mean, this is really my wheelhouse and I'm not even sure, like, how do I do it? I have to think because I'm, I've been so in it and on autopilot and I don't really work with anyone on it. It's interesting to explain it to someone. Um, so it's funny. First of all, always changes as far as process goes and as far as how we make these decisions, we meaning mainly me. Um, I'm in my own world a lot of the time and in my head a lot. So you know, how we started making edits has definitely evolved. Um, I think originally we started making these really fun content type edits um, with themes. I, you know, Valentine's Day vibes or just, um, I don't know, I, we did an edit like from my grandma's closet, like really niche kind of edits that we thought would be cool content. And that has since evolved into providing edits that we think you guys actually need and we have gotten requests for so i kind of go about deciding the edits based on pain points so i'll think like okay what's going on in april oh there are a lot of spring holidays coming up in april like we have pesach we have you know that for the jewish community easter's also in april and this year, Ramadan happened to fall in April. So that for me triggers, okay, a lot of people are going to be shopping for like nicer occasion dresses. Let's do an entire month-long dress drop leading up to all of these spring holidays. Um, and so that's kind of how my wheels start turning as I think about, okay, what has our community been asking for? And like, what does our community need? And from there, I'll be like, okay, how can we just like make shopping easier and create these edits? So Memorial Day is coming up, beachwear. Um, you know, summer, warmer weather's here. Like finding tops to wear with skirts is so hard. Like it's just, it's miserable. You don't want to sweat. So next week we're going to do a top drop. Um, and that's kind of just how I've started thinking about it as far as content creation goes and edits goes, just what would I like to see? What would my friends like to see? What does the community want to see? Um, what's needed? What's wanted? What are we hearing? What's going on in life? Exactly. Like mm -hmm. what's, what's, what's occurring to me? What's, what, what am I feeling at the moment? Yeah. How do you do that six months out though? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it changes. It definitely changes. I have a rough roadmap for six months um, and I put any major like milestone event in there. Um, so like any holiday, I know, okay, like um, Labor Day will be in September. Like we'll probably want to do like some kind of Labor Day content. Um, I know like, okay, for all these Jewish holidays are going to be early October this year. Like, okay, October, we're going to be doing a lot of dress drops. Um, so like I plan those out and then I kind of work backwards. So I'll be like, okay, we like a few weeks ago did an Amazon edit, for example. Well, Amazon does really well. Everybody loves the Amazon fashion finds. It's our top performing retailer. So I know, okay, if we did that a few weeks ago, I have to start planning those out like to be every five weeks um, at least or like every six weeks. So I'll just start filling in the calendar based on based on what performs well. And uh, yeah, things things change, but more or less it's mapped out. I love that. I'm curious 
uh, this might be a little bit of a curveball question, but it, it occurred to me and I, I feel like we're vibing. So I'm going to throw it out there. Do it. What is like, what does modesty mean to you? Such a great question. I, I hate the word, first of all, it's just, it, it means nothing. Modesty, like we have to use it because what, what other translation do we have to work with? It's just, it's really difficult. Um, Smute is the Hebrew word for what, <laughs> the reason we dress modestly. And snoot really means internality. Like at the end of the day, what modesty means to me, what snoot means to me is it is a tool for me to express my most authentic internal self with the world. So it has nothing to do with timeline for me whatsoever. It has everything to do with how I connect to myself and how others connect to me and how I connect to God. Because at the end of the day, those are the three relationships that matter. And it like has actually nothing to do with hemline. And for me, like I dress how I dress because it makes me feel good. And it makes me feel like I'm challenging myself and growing and evolving as a person. Um, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, like modesty is a character trait. And with any character trait, you always have the ability to develop in it and grow in it, right? Like, um, let's take another character trait, like humility, for example. Humility, like, humility is the spectrum. There's always going to be room for you to become more humble. And there's always going to be an opportunity for you to fall a little bit. That's the nature of any character trait. So modesty is also like that, right? Like, it's not black and it's not white and it's not you're not stuck in it it's a spectrum and some days you might fall a little bit to the left and other days you might grow a little bit to the right and you know however you want to manifest that character trait you can and sure I think it gets complicated when you talk about halacha but um I think it just provides another opportunity for you to grow in that character trait I love that way of thinking about it because I'm thinking to my own experience with this, which is like I grew up from. So I've dressed this way my entire life. And I don't think that I necessarily struggled with it so much. Like it wasn't, I'm a very practical person. So I'm like, tell me what I need to do and then I'll do it. Like that was <laughs> like that, that's just the way that I approach most things in life. Um, but I do know that for me, I related much more to the like the fact that a lot of professional women tend to dress more modestly just because either that's what's considered appropriate in the workplace or that's just what they're most comfortable in. I related a lot more to that and this notion of being seen for my accomplishments as opposed to my body. That that I that like that really spoke to me. And that was something that that I definitely connected with when it came to this whole idea of like dressing modestly and nude and what does that mean and what does it not mean and all of that. And, and it sounds like we're on, we're in a similar kind of space. You know, you said, you know, expressing your authentic eternal self for me, it's about accomplishments, but it's kind of the same thing. Right. Exactly. It's like, what do you want to be known by, by like how you look or like who you are, you know? And it's like, okay, like if you want to be known by who you are, like then why why distract people from that like let them get to know you right and then Um, it also opens up this whole question of because you know because we have this meat suit that we navigate the world in then if we want to be known by who (laughs) you are that's it's the easiest way for me to think about this because like I do think that in a lot of ways like I know that I am not my body so I just have this cool meat suit and like that's and that's what I and that's what I got to run around in and because you like because 
the only like your your virtual avatar for lack of a better word is your is your body ha- making sure that that ref- like because you need to use it to present yourself it's about showing yourself through your clothes and yeah that goes with the level of 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 cover that you are but it also goes with like the style that you are and how that how that all fits in together it's a very interesting like it's it's a weird place to be it's such a weird place to be I know oh my god our meat suits I'm yeah (laughs) that's that's what everyone's gonna remember from this interview that I said the word meat suit um but I hope that they also remembered that the reflective is a very cool place and a really interesting way to um to approach style and and it's very fun to browse I will say this it's really really fun to browse especially because we're so used to looking at like glamour or cosmo whatever and kind of like it's it's more of a museum than it is something really practical. And the fact that this is something really practical as a modest dresser is super fun. So uh, Danielle, for, um, if someone wants to learn more about you or the reflective, where can they go? They can go to our website, the-reflective.com or our Instagram, the underscore reflective underscore. Love it. And the last thing I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Danielle Immerman of the reflective. What does it mean to make an impact? Mm, wow. That's such a good question. What does it mean to make an impact? It's something I have always thought about because who doesn't desire to make an impact? I think it's part of human nature to want to leave the world a little bit better than when you came into it. And I used to conceptualize that making an impact on a macro level. I thought that was the only way possible. I don't know why. It's just, it's really what I think our society kind of shows us. And, you know, it's what, it's the only way you really think about it. But making an impact is so simple. It's so small. It, it can be just walking out of your apartment and smiling to the doorman. Well, you just impacted their day. You just brought some sunshine into another person's life that's impact because you don't know what's going to happen it could be that that man that doorman is now going to be smiling at every person who walks through that door and that doorman just impacted maybe 50 people maybe more maybe 200 and those 200 people are going to go into their apartments and smile at their family and then you just impacted 500 people maybe more so i think impact starts with just a smile and you never know where it will take you. I love that. Thank you so much, Danielle. I really appreciate you coming on and speaking with me today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Danielle, her links are in the show notes. On last week's episode, my guest was nutrition therapist, Elise Resch. She answered all your questions on intuitive eating. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 17 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifty at Squids. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.